Hello, welcome to Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Ines González del Mazo, and today we're joined by Vini Lingam, CEO of Civic. Vini is the Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of Civic, a visionary company focused on identity that enables consumers to securely send and receive money, including cryptocurrencies around the world. Civic is backed by eight VCs and raised $33 million in token sales. But in addition to that, Vini is a serial entrepreneur and an investor. He will tell us about that in a minute. Hello, Vini, and welcome. We're very happy to have you as a guest. It was as a guest. Good to be here. Thank you. We can start the conversation by just telling if you could tell us about your interesting background, like where are you from, which were your early projects, and what got you where you are. Yeah, it's a long story. <laughs> I've, uh, I'm originally from South Africa, as some people could probably tell from my accent, and I grew up there. I left at the age of you know, 28, so it's about 13 years ago, 41 now. Yeah, it's, it was an interesting run, living in, 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 in Africa during some very interesting times, emerging markets crisis, the Zimbabwean collapse, etc. And then, uh, yeah, moving to Silicon Valley at the you know, height of the uh, 2008 financial crisis, and now we're living through COVID-19. So I've been around for a while. Got some good you know, insights, I'd say, into how the world plays out over time. You know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm young enough to remember things, and I'm, I'm you know, old enough to uh, have some reflections on them. You know, I, I think my career has been largely focused on being an entrepreneur, so grass grassroots style, start things from scratch, build them up, sometimes sell them, sometimes leave them to run by themselves, and uh, and working with good people and partners, and, and you know, raising money, investing, and as a bit of an angel investor myself, I've probably invested in close to probably 100 companies by now, some really good successes, some really great failures, learned from all of them, and uh, yeah, I'm just running Civic right now, and you know, been grinding away for, you know, for over four years now, trying to build something in the blockchain space. Uh, it hasn't been easy. It's been a really tough uh, couple of years in terms of market adoption and, and traction. But, you know, we're launching our new product now. We really think that the, the signs and what we're seeing in terms of usage and, and market need is, is really good. And I think we're actually onto something big. And so, yeah. And, you know, like every entrepreneur, I'm really optimistic about the future. <laughs> and I'm hoping we can help build it. Yes, no, that sounds, it sounds great. And uh, you're, you're, yeah, definitely your background is very interesting. So how did you get interested in the fintech and blockchain space? If you can um, tell us. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. I, I was very interested when, when, when we looked at you know, what Starbucks was doing with gift cards back in 2012 and 2011. And I, I got to the point where I was just very interested in seeing how we could digitize money. And that's how I got into the whole space. You know, I, I, Started with a company called Gift. We built a gift card platform which digitized gift cards, and uh, we had some good success there. I wound up selling the company to a company called First Data, the largest payments company in the world. Spent some time with them, and um, yeah, I uh, just stuck in the payments world. Went to the periphery with identity on the blockchain, and now we're back in payments and identity. So yeah, I, I kind of stumbled on it, I guess, but I, I found it interesting. So that's why. That's yeah, that's great. And uh, you you mentioned a little bit like about Civic and what it does it do, but like could you tell us a little bit more about it and what I don't know what what product you're more excited about or which is the latest one that you launch? 
Yeah, I'll give you a um, I'll give you a current sort of where we're at as opposed to the the, the machinations of how we got you. Where we're at right now is we have built a a non custodial crypto wallet, which means that we're not holding your funds. You're holding your funds in your wallet. You have the private keys for those funds. And we've provided a very safe, secure way for you to do it and without seed phrases using something called multi-sig technology. And um, what that really means is that no one can really steal your funds without really physical access to you, I guess, as they would steal money that you had on you. And uh, no one else can take your funds away. So if you look at what happened in, you know, 2013 with the Bank of Cyprus, they, they just gave a haircut to all their depositors and they took uh, money away from them. So that can't really happen. It's kind of like, it's a, the solution is called self-custody. So you hold your own funds and you do it securely. And we've done it in a way which is more secure than anyone's done before because we've added something which is unique, which is a million dollar insurance policy that your funds can always be recovered. And so that's banked, backed by ultimately Lloyds of London. We worked with a company called CoinCover to do it. But Lloyds of London is the largest insurance company in the world, and they're insuring these funds. So we have a unique offering. And instead of using you know, a hardware wallet or a seed-based wallet, we're offering people the ability to you know, use a multi-sig wallet but have the protection that you'd expect from, you know, even in the, in the traditional world, the financial world, people put money with banks and they have insurance. But this is slightly different. You know, you're storing your own money, your own funds, your own Bitcoin, Ethereum, or crypto dollars, and you get the ability to protect your money and know that you have insurance behind it in case you make in case you make a mistake or you lose your phone or something. We are recording this on April the fifteenth, and everyone is impacted by COVID. So I was wondering, what kind of impact does COVID have in a company like yours? You know, that's an interesting question. The answer is pretty much close to zero negative impact. And in terms of operations of the business, I think there's a macro discussions, which I, I mean, we can get into. But on the operational side, we are a distributed company. So we, we all work from home. We don't have an office anymore. We shut that down. We, we used to get together. When I say used to, a month ago, we would meet once a week in an office. And most of the people in the Bay Area would just co, you know, cohabitate for, for a day every week or every other week. We actually had our team offsite, which was... Um, an annual gathering. We had that in February. So we just got the whole team together. So we've been actually very fortunate that we've, you know, we're operating as normal and, and nothing's gotten out of whack. I, I think individually, I'm sure there's some people who've got some you know, particular family strains and stresses in the company with 30 odd people, but by and large, everyone's working hard and producing and, and shipping code. And we don't have to worry about becoming a decentralized company because we already were one and we've been operating like that for a long time. And we always believe that that's the future of, of work. That's, that's great. And following up on that, uh, what do you think is the impact of uh, this pandemic in cryptocurrencies? And, and given, given the fact that like, they've been falling these later, this later days? So, you know, it's hard to say. I think that, yeah, it's hard to say. It's not like it's, it's like the cryptocurrency industry is such a big world. There's like thousands of them out there. And every, the circumstances are different for each one. I wouldn't want to venture a guess into that just yet, if you don't mind. <laughs> right. Of course. Um, I understand. And uh, changing a little bit topic. So you're from South Africa. Do you believe that the cryptocurrencies in emerging markets will get a lot more traction because of the basically the volatility that like markets are maybe have? 
Yeah, so there's a there's a couple of arguments here. I think what is interesting is if you if we see well, well if we see what happened like in the past when the governments are going to start printing money, okay, and as they print money, what actually winds up happening is the, the, there's going to be rampant inflation, and so the currency starts to and we've seen emerging market currencies basically lose value against the dollar. So people are going to have their asset bases and their, and their hard asset bases eroded by inflation from, you know, from centralized bank printing. So there's going to be a need for people to move out of, call it, uh, local fiat currencies into hard currencies or hard assets. So that's gold, potentially, um, U.S. dollars, Bitcoin maybe. And they need a way to do that and they need a way to store those assets. And when I say gold, like there's gold tokens that are out there, which are actually quite interesting. So you can buy, you can buy gold. You can buy a tokenized version of gold and hold it in your, in your wallet. And that gold price, the gold price goes up, it reflects it in the token. And that's becoming, you know, these sorts of assets and, you know, assets are becoming securitized on the blockchain. So you're going to have security tokens, et cetera, et cetera, emerging over time. Right. And so this is an interesting world. I think we're in the early stages, but what's happening globally in the coronavirus crisis is going to accelerate that for sure. Right. And um, um, since you mentioned different types of tokens, what are kind of the kinds of cryptocurrencies that like you can hold in a civic wallet? Uh, right now, we we support only Bitcoin, Ethereum, CVC, and USDC, which is uh, Coinbase's. A dollar, and, and that's just because we're busy rolling out. We haven't gone fully public yet. But once we go public, we'll we'll add more tokens and the ability to select more tokens. But that's probably in the next call it four to six weeks, maybe eight weeks from now. If there's sufficient demand for certain currencies, we'll move it into the wallets as well. But it's just it's just a it's just a practicality matter. Like we don't want to go out there with this, with you know the ability to support too many tokens while we're trying to make sure the app is stable and secure. Right. And then one thing that is going to happen soon is a halving of Bitcoin. Is there, do you think something will happen because of that? I mean, everyone's been saying that the halving, you know, is coming, etc. But like, in my opinion, that was been priced in for a long time. I don't think we're going to see a major boost. I think people are going to be disappointed by the halving. I think there's some other risks to the halving, which don't get talk, spoken about in terms of the, the incentive structures around why miners keep their hardware on and then the price post-halving, and then the adjustment algorithm. And so these are technical things which most people aren't aware of, but they just get told to buy Bitcoin. And the risks may or may not transpire into anything, but if something happens negatively, it's going to have a major impact. And so I think the halving this time is very different to previous halvings, but time will tell. And I'm happy to just sit back and watch and see what happens. All right. Okay, so uh, now we're going to touch a little bit your entrepreneurship side. So you founded Jola and Gift, and you're an investor as well in in, Dra- in like Dragon's Den reality show in, in South Africa. So could you tell us more about those experiences? Yeah. So that, so that uh, you know, Dragon's Den is, is is the original version of Shark Tank. South Africa has actually run both. So I've been on Sh- Dragon's Den and Shark Tank in South Africa. It's interesting because you sit there and you have entrepreneurs coming to you and just pitching you idea after idea. It's very tiring. It's like 10 days and 60 pitches. And I invested in quite a few of those companies. Some worked out, some didn't. Uh, actually, most most actually wound up failing uh, ultimately. But you know, it, it was it was very interesting for me to get, go through that experience and, and see what what like, just see the process from the inside. It's, it's quite cool being on a TV show. I'm not a TV star, but uh, not in that sense. But I enjoy the I enjoy, enjoy the experience. 
<laughs> That's great. So uh, you sold Jola to First Data Corporation in, nine, in 2014 for more than $54 million. So could you tell us why you took that decision and when in the life of, the, of an entrepreneur it is better to sell or it comes at the time that you want to sell? Yeah. So at the time we only raised, you know, 5 million bucks. And so we were getting 11 times return on, on capital. And so it's really hard to turn on an offer like that at that point where, you know, if you look, if you look at it and you say, well, could we keep going? Yeah, we could have, we could have raised 10, $20 million, but then we have to sell that business for 200 to give a similar return to investors. So when we looked at it, it just seemed like overall the best, the best, the best idea was at the time was like, look, this, this is a good offer. It's a good team. It's a good company to go into. And the first day it was going through the IPO. So it was a pre-IPO acquisition. And um, I guess we just, we, we, uh, we took the perspective that it was a good deal for everyone and we, and we went with it. That's great. So following all these questions, what do you like more to be an entrepreneur or to invest? And I have to complement a little bit this question is, do you feel like one supplements the other? Or did you feel like be, by being an investor, right now you're a better entrepreneur and vice versa. No, I think I think I definitely am a uh, a better as a result of being an investor. I'm a better entrepreneur for sure. So okay. so, so so yeah. I, I, the reason is I know what investors are looking for, and when I optimize my my business, I optimize for. You know, like obviously, I do what's important for the business, but I also say, well, if we need to raise further capital, we need to build a business. What, what do we? What do good investors want? What are they looking for, right? And when you're looking, when you're looking for the right metrics, the right traction, and as an entrepreneur, you, you, as an investor, you like I know what investors are looking for, and that's why I don't waste my time talking to investors unless I know I've got something which could be of interest for them. You know, and it's hard to say no to investors. Like it's, 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 it really is hard to say to investors, hey, listen, we're not in a stage where this is worth your time to talk to us because I know what your typical, your firm is looking for and we're not there because they always want to talk and they want to get more information. And, and But like, I don't waste their time because I know what they're looking for. Uh, on the flip side, I get my team focused on the right things. Like we, you know, we spend a lot of time on data, on metrics, on traction, on figuring out uh, engagement numbers, et cetera. And, these are the things which I think are important to make the company healthy. And when the company is healthy, investors want to get in. So it's kind of a bit of a bit of, you know, it's a two-way street. Uh, whereas if I was an entrepreneur without knowing what investors wanted in the company, it would be a little bit more difficult. And in some cases, I think it's probably easier because, you know, you're just like, oh, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And and sometimes, you know, you don't have the pressure. I I, ha I feel this immense pressure to do things in a certain way, knowing what, I, you know, what the capital markets are looking for. Right. No, I completely agree. And um, so there's a lot of people listening to us right now. So why would you encourage like the smartest minds that are out there to work in the blockchain and, or crypto space? I mean, I, I actually don't encourage the smartest minds to work. In the, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I encourage the most passionate people to work in the space. Because when you say that it only has to be smart people, smart people may not want to have the passion for this industry, and then they leave when things get tough. And so if you look what happened in 2017, there was this huge explosion of, of innovation. Everybody came in. Everybody wanted to do, like, really smart people, computer scientists, physicists, whatever, and mathematicians, they all came into the space 
to try and make money out of the space. And then they all left, right? They left because they weren't passionate about it, really. They just, they just weren't chasing the money. And so I, I, I you know, but the people who stayed behind, myself, I've been in this industry since 2012, basically. You know, I'm still here. I'm still building. And we're still trying to make this work. And the industry is not in a great spot. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of negative perceptions about it. But when we get it right, when we figure out product market fit, when we figure out the ability to scale, when we figure out a lot of these things, it's, I think, going to be a, a fantastic industry to be in. But we are in the early, early stages of it. So if you don't have the passion for this industry and you're not going to stick around and make it work, don't join, no matter how smart you are. That's, uh, you know, that is not the smart thing to do. <laughs> no, that's that's very important. That's very important to remember. Okay, so that was that was my last question. Thank you again for your time. It's been a great conversation, and we covered a lot of like very different topics. So I'm sure our listeners listeners have loved it. So uh, I wish you the best in all your in in the the work and in your company, and I hope you and your family and keep it safe um, in these times. Thanks, Ines. Good chatting to you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye bye.